Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what we've already witnessed, the, the joy of people coming to you, of, of, of giving up their sin and their old selves and finding their true fulfillment, finding their true hope, their true peace, their true joy in you and you alone. We know that's what you created us for and to be, to be directly connected to you. And even though we broke that uh, relationship, and we continue to break that relationship, re relationship each and every day with our sin, we thank you that you provided a way, one way, a way, for us to be restored to you. And that is by uh, forsaking, repenting our, our sin, and taking your death and resurrection as paying for our sin in our place, on our behalf, and then living for you with the rest of our days. Uh, we thank you for the eternal hope that that gives to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I thought that we would talk about baptism, what it is, what it means. Uh, when, the Christi when Christianity was legalized in the Roman Empire by Constantine uh, in 313 A.D., through the law that is known today as the Edict of Milan, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire almost overnight. When Rome would set out to conquer more lands, they also forced their new religion upon the pagans that they conquered. The new law in those conquered lands was get baptized or die. <laughs> I wonder why so many people were baptized then. That completely took the meaning away from the true meaning of baptism, what it actually is. It turned into a sign that you were just obeying the newly Christianized government so they didn't kill you. You didn't care what getting baptized actually meant. You just didn't want to be executed. Baptism became the end-all of end-all in that if you wanted to be identified with being a Christian, you were baptized. It didn't matter if you really believed what baptism signified or that you even received forgiveness for your sins uh, by committing your life to Christ. In fact, when uh, uh, Emperor Constantine's real faith even though he claimed to be a Christian, has been called into question by scholars throughout the ages because he held out from being baptized until he was on his deathbed to attempt to seal his eternal fate before he died. This concept of using baptism to twist and manipulate people into being forced into believing the same faith of those conquering them continued throughout the centuries with the Spanish conquistadors forcing those already living in the New World to either be baptized or killed. It was the same uh, uh, policy. Many have different views of baptism, when someone should be baptized and how they should be baptized. So no wonder there is so much confusion wrapped up in the term baptism. What is it? What does it mean? What's the purpose of it? you may be sitting here today wondering those same questions. I'm hoping to, in our little bit of time here today to clear up a little confusion uh, to see what the Bible teaches about baptism. Baptism, believe it or not, is not something that any one church came up with. 
It did not even originate in the New Testament or with the apostles or with a pope somewhere in the distant past. Baptism actually uh, originated with the law that God gave to Moses all the way back in the second book of the Bible, known as the book of Exodus. In the Mosaic law, cleansing with water was required for several unclean acts, for both spiritual and pragmatic reasons. The law was given to an entire nation of people, two and a half million people recently uh, uh, freed from slavery in Egypt living in close proximity to each other, with little to no knowledge of what good hygiene was. In order for the people to congregate together for worship at the tabernacle, people had to be as clean as possible from different actions and bodily fluids to minimize the spread of disease rampaging through the Israelite camp. One example of this is found in Leviticus 15.13. If this will work for me. All right, well, I'll just, get, I'll just read it. Somewhere along the line, they'll, they'll catch up with everything. Uh, Leviticus 15, 13 says, Now when a man with a discharge has been cleansed from the discharge, there we go, uh, thank you, uh, then he shall count off for himself seven days for his cleansing. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water and will become clean. In that example, in order to prevent the spread of disease, someone needed to be bathed in running water a river or stream, to carry that which would cause disease away. The connection between physical cleanliness and spiritual cleanliness is continued further in the law in Numbers 19.13. Anyone who touches a corpse, the body of a man who has died and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. We see here that a person's physical uncleanness prevented him from being a part of the corporate worship of the rest of the nation of Israel. This disregard for God's law prevented him from being spiritually clean because he was not rendered spiritually clean until what was called the water for impurity was sprinkled on him. This theological concept of water being used to represent cleaning someone spiritually is developed further on in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, we read, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Clean water is used as a sign to show uh, that a person's heart has been cleansed spiritually. This spiritual concept is developed further when we come to the New Testament, and we read this about a man identified with baptism, Mark 1.4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist is known as the last Old Testament prophet, and the transitionary figure from the Old Testament and everything that happened in the Old Testament to Jesus and the New Testament. People were coming from all over Judea to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Why? To show that they were repentant of their sins and wanted forgiveness for their sins. Isn't that the gospel right there? 
Whereas cleansing with water was meant to uh, happen for each and every unclean act as put forth in the law, water, as shown in Ezekiel and what John the Baptist was proclaiming in the New Testament, was now being used to show forgiveness of all of your sins and a cleansing of all of you at once because of your repentance of all of your sins. We read in Scripture that Jesus was even baptized. Not because he needed to be cleansed from any sin, but why did he do it? He did it as an example uh, for us that we should follow him in being baptized to show God's cleansing of us spiritually through Jesus' death and resurrection. No one could point their finger at Jesus and say, you never did what you will command all followers of you to be a part of, because he did do it. Baptism, as John the Baptist was proclaiming, was a public sign of what you had already decided privately in your heart. That you were repentant of all of your sins and needed God to forgive you. It showed that because you were repentant, which is the ultimate act of what? Humility and rejection of pride, that God would forgive you. And was cleansing you spiritually, as Ezekiel described. Of course, we see here that baptism is not imperative to your salvation. Your salvation does not hinge on whether or not you're baptized. But it is a public display of what you've already committed to in your heart. The faith that is imperative, that is crucial, that does hinge on your salvation. It's because it's a public display of your faith that Jesus commands his disciples to do this before he ascended back to heaven. Our scripture reading just a couple minutes ago. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. This is why baptism is so important to your faith in Jesus. You could claim faith in Jesus one day and not claim it the next. You could vacillate between being sold out in commitment to Jesus every minute of every day. But can faith in Jesus include that? I'm getting a lot of blank stares at me right now. Can faith in Jesus include that? Going back and forth every minute of every day. It's not supposed to anyways. Faith in Jesus requires that you commit your whole life to him. When you make the decision to be baptized, what you're doing is you are taking that stand. One of our baptism candidates wore the t-shirt, not today, Satan, right? Taking that stand. You are saying to everyone in observation of this act before God, I am sold out to Jesus. I am willing to be so committed to him that I am showing everyone publicly that I've made this commitment to him and therefore can be held accountable in how I'm living for him and am accepting of whatever happens to me in this life because of my faith. I'm taking that stand. I'm not hiding my love for Jesus. I am declaring it for the whole world to see no matter what happens to me. 
That's why Jesus commands his disciples to carry on this practice of baptism. It is a public display of sold-out commitment to Christ and his kingdom. That's what the church needs in order to grow, right? People fully committed to building God's kingdom or else there's no point to the existence of the church. The disciples and other followers of Jesus do carry on this practice throughout the rest of the New Testament because this is the why of baptism, to show public display of faith, repentance of your sins, and knowledge that you need forgiveness from God for those sins. We believe that the Bible teaches that a person must be conscious that they are a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. In order to even ask God for forgiveness of our sins, we must first be conscious that we're a sinner in the first place, right? What does that mean? Well, what that means is a baby is not conscious that they're a sinner. A very young child is not conscious that they are a sinner. This is not to bash other churches on their views of baptism. This is simply to teach what we believe the Bible teaches regarding the whole point of baptism and what it is and what it means. We've covered the why of baptism, but now how about the how of baptism? How should people be baptized? Other churches will simply sprinkle water on people to baptize them. And while there is evidence of sprinkling water in the, in the Bible, which we looked at, especially in connection with that Ezekiel passage, what the New Testament teaches is baptism by full immersion in water. We'll first take a look at the physical evidence and then the theological evidence. Let's look at the word itself. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which is derived from the word bapto, meaning to dip or immerse in a coloring in order to dye a piece of fabric. You would baptizo a piece of fabric into dye. So because of that, baptizo, uh, meaning to dip under, to submerge, or fully immerse, the very word baptize means to submerge or immerse. We have several instances in the New Testament that describe when several people were baptized, and this is what is included in those descriptions. Here's the first instance, describing when Jesus himself was baptized. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. In order to come up out of the water, where did, where did Jesus need to be first? He needed to be under the water, right? Here's another example from when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. In both of these examples, both people had to come down, had to be down into the water in order to come up out of the water. Here's the theological significance of baptism by immersion, and here's why another reason why the practice and symbolism of baptism is so important to the Christian's faith and life. The Apostle Paul describes the theological significance of baptism in Romans 6, 1 through 4. I read them uh, from the tub back there. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be, he says. 
How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or, how, or, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Going under the water means you're identifying with the death of Christ, and coming back up out of the water means you're identifying with the new life of the resurrection of Christ. You don't get that meaning with sprinkling. There's a rebuke to those who think that since God's grace covers everything, which is true, it doesn't matter if they want to continue doing what they know is sin or not. What that is, is that's exploiting God's free grace given through the horrific sacrifice of his son. And that is not something you want to knowingly be doing by spitting in the face of God for the mercy he's had upon you. Here's why we cannot continue to live in sin as believers in Christ. If you've been baptized, which we've already seen the importance of, in obedience to Jesus' command before he ascended back to heaven, that baptism represents something in your life. Baptism represents the change that God has made in your life. It represents that you have identified yourself with what Christ did on the cross. Since Christ killed sin and death on the cross, we identify with that change and act in our lives by being buried under the water just as Jesus was buried in his death. Just as Jesus was buried, we bury our former selves. That is who we were before we received God's forgiveness for our sins by committing our lives to him and the sin that we identified ourselves with and by by being buried under the water. When we are buried under the water, we are publicly declaring, I am not that same person anymore. I am not a person controlled by sin I will not live according to my sin any longer. But just as Jesus didn't stay buried, but rose from the dead, we too are lifted up out of the water to signify our new lives and commitment to Christ and the newness of the indwelling Holy Spirit. As Paul says, baptism signifies that we now live with new life, new peace, new hope, New faith, new love, and new power. We are to identify ourselves with Christ now and the strength that he bestows upon God's children. So baptism represents our death, which is absolutely necessary. Our death to our former selves, identification, enslavement to sin, and pride, and baptism represents our new life. We are not perfect, and we will still fall to sin sometimes, but it's a new knowledge that you are not controlled by and identified with that sin. That is not who you are anymore. It's a new knowledge that we were filled with the Holy Spirit when we gave our lives to God through Jesus. And it's by his power that we are being changed, transformed, freed, and empowered with boldness to share this freedom, hope, and peace with others.
Remember, Jesus' last words were not to stay and end with the death of the, of the disciples and the first apostles. They were meant to continue on with every believer and follower and disciple of Jesus from that point on. So therefore, we too, as Jesus' 21st century disciples, are to be baptized. But we're also to pass that teaching and the spreading of the gospel that leads to baptism with others around us too. Today we witnessed five people declare their faith and declare their new life through baptism. Come alongside them. Encourage them. Model mature faith to them. Teach them the truths of the Bible. If you haven't yet been baptized by immersion after you've come to faith in Christ, repented of your sin, and received God's forgiveness, I strongly encourage you to take that leap and make that commitment to be baptized in obedience to Christ's command by declaring your faith to the world around you. If you have been baptized in this way, I encourage you to be reminded of what that still means to you today. Maybe you've gone astray a little bit since then. Remember what that baptism meant to you years ago. Come back to God. Come back to the way he wants you to live. And then we're also to obey Jesus' other last words on earth. And this is what we'll close with. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this entire day, for this entire service so far. We thank you for the praise and worship we were able to sing to you. We thank you for the special music we were able to enjoy and have be a blessing to us and our souls. Thank you for the prayer given by Elder Hillegas. We thank you for the testimonies and witnessing uh, the actual tangible baptisms of five individuals who have made that commitment, who have declared that faith in Jesus Christ uh, to those here and before you. I pray that we would continue to walk alongside of them, encourage them, help them grow in their faith. And Lord, may we all look to you, look to your word, Look to see if there's any area of our lives we're still holding on to stubbornly. Uh, and may we give each and every area of our lives to you. That your Holy Spirit may transform each and every area of who we are. And bring it more in line with your word. And bring it more in line with the image of your son. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.